This is Getting Stoned, a podcast about all things gems and minerals, and I'm your host, Jonna Kreider. Today, I have a very special guest, Rob Levinsky with the Arkenstone. In this episode, we talk a lot about crystals, gems, minerals, the industry, um, as well as how artificial intelligence impacts this industry. So thank you, Rob, for coming on. Hello, Rob with Arkenstone. How are you doing today, Rob? I am good. Thank you, Jonna. Awesome. Awesome. Well, welcome to Getting Stoned. So (laughs) tell me, what got you into minerals and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, that's a long story. So the the short version, I mean, you know, I got lucky. I think everyone when they're young is interested in nature and lots of kids like dinosaurs and fossils and rocks. But, um, you know, I just got really lucky growing up in Columbus, Ohio, and I was collecting fossils. Uh, I walked into my first gem crystal mineral show, you know, as a fossil guy, and I saw these sparkly, beautiful things. I, I still remember the booth right in front of me as I walked in the door at Veterans Memorial Center in Columbus, and I was maybe, well, I was 13. And uh, I was hooked. They're just beautiful, sparkling little toys, right? And, um, you know, I had, a, I had an interest in science by then. It tied into science, uh, geography, history, because you learn where these things come from. And I never looked back. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, you know, crystals and minerals, they just have their own beauty and, like, they call to us, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I I didn't know about the science of crystallography. I like science in general. But you don't have to be a scientist to collect minerals and crystals as art objects. Um, like you said, they had a beauty. It was just immediate and visceral and you just see it and you know this is awesome. And you know it's like your path. So um so tell me like when you first started IROC um, dot mm-hmm. com. Tell me the story about that. You were one of the first, I think, the first to actually, you know, have a website about um, gemstones and minerals. Yeah, I wasn't quite the first, to be honest. I, I appreciate that. I was among the first. And, you know, what happened is I, I built my business as a kid. Um, I was doing snow shoveling, paper routes, lawn mowing to pay for minerals. And then I realized, wouldn't it be much smarter to actually do a minerals business to pay for my minerals hobby. So I was setting up at mineral shows when I was 14, 15, 16 in Ohio. Uh, once I could drive, I did a little more and ended up turning it into a business to help pay for college when I went to school in Houston. And a couple of things happened. So I started building these email lists, right? And you could actually sell minerals by email instead of waiting for the shows. And everyone thought this was crazy. No one really knew what I was doing or how it worked among the older guys because, let's face it, everyone was older, right? It's, it's kind of until recently been a hobby for old people, particularly old retired people in general. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of what I've gotten to help change and see change over the last 30 years is the, the demographics of mineral clusters has dropped in age. Now there's people across all ages, spectrums, jobs, countries all over the world. Anyway, so we saw that with the development of the websites. And uh, 
what happened was I was in school, I was doing email lists, and I remember going to the campus bookstore, and it was edition one of HTML for dummies, you know, how to program a website with code. And I, I remember thinking, you know, what the hell, I got nothing better to do in the evenings. And so I put up the website when I was a senior in college. This would have been uh, end of 94. And I was among the first five or six doing minerals. But I wanted to do it more seriously. So at the time, the idea was put up a website. It was sort of like an advertisement, right? Basically like a print ad. But, hey, look, it's online and we can update it with news. Um, it was really hard to get photos. You had to scan things in and upload low resolution mm. photos. Really difficult. And so it was more a listing thing with a very few photos. And by the uh, by the end of the 90s, I was still in school. I was in school a really long time to be a biologist and a doctor. And I was doing this at night. And I built the website looking at the, just the organic growth of people who just wanted to see beautiful minerals. Um, we started putting up more and more photos. This was the time when you had to do it manually and you had to um, delete photos after you sold a, an item to make room on the website. And we saw people from all over the world tuning in. So it just built and built and built. And most of the time, um, the typical dealers were just making fun of me for playing around on the Internet. I mean, no one, including me, really saw the full potential of what it would become. But there were a few of us that stuck it out and, uh, you know, started putting up serious minerals for collectors and realized how many people out there really wanted to collect minerals and just didn't have the opportunity before the exposure. It just um, became a, a thing of its own. It consumed me, right? So uh, at some point I had to tell my mother that 11 years of school uh, resulted in me becoming a mineral dealer. And she, I still <laughs> wait, is that a real job? When did that become a real job? But, um, so yeah, I'm no, not your average crystal dealer. <laughs> yeah, you know, so here's the thing at the time in the 90s, again, it was email list. And then when you had the first websites, there were a lot of people dealing in what you would call maybe crystals for metaphysical or just quartz crystals, pendants and things. But serious worldwide fine mineral collecting where you take a really diverse group of specimens, right? And they're, they're kind of expensive in appearance to the newbie. I mean, if you're not in the culture, you don't see a broad variety at once, you sort of wonder, well, why are people paying more money for an azurite because it's from Russia as opposed to Mexico or, or a cerusite because it's from Sumab as opposed to somewhere else? Um, why does location matter? Why does condition matter? Why does aesthetics matter? That's what I learned going to the shows. But there wasn't anywhere to really teach that online. So, so there were crystal websites, right, and rock websites. But at the time, there were only a few of us that were making websites for what I call fine minerals. You know, we were trying to teach collecting with connoisseurship. Mm -hmm. And, again, I, I think a lot of people thought we were not – in the existing fine mineral world, and I'm sure people stumbled onto the website and thought we were nuts from the outside world. I mean, I, I got some nasty emails back in the day about, you know, how can you charge $50 for a calcite when I can pick one up off the side of the road? You know, well, it's a different kind of calcite. It's a different kind of approach. Um, but, you know, it, it's 
in the end, there were five or six of us that stuck it out. And by 2000, early 2000s, there were a couple of dozen websites selling uh, diverse worldwide minerals online. And you know what? We all grew, and we grew the market with us. It, it's, I mean, a thousand percent growth in that time over over ten years. The whole market changed. I mean, everyone realized this was a worldwide sport. That's amazing. Um, and you know, I when I first started like researching crystals. Um, mm-hmm. And getting into it, because um, I did it, I came in it from a jewelry angle. Like, if I'm going to make jewelry, I have to know what I'm selling to people. And so I would research a stone, and I would go into the metaphysical parts first, but there's got to be more to it than the metaphysical. So the way my mind thinks, okay, what is this stone? Why is this stone said to do one, two, one, three? And where does that information come from? Like, for example, rose quartz is known as a stone of love, but why? Um, you know, so that's that's just where my mind went. Like you, you read the books or the crystal books, and they say, "Oh, this crystal does this, and this crystal does that." Okay, so why does it do this? Why is it not? Why? Where do these stories come from? You know, like amethyst is supposed to be the stone that prevents drunkenness. You know, which is you know it's a silly myth, but it, it has a story. So that's where I kind of got into the histories of it because these stories come from somewhere, and along with the histories of it, you find out the mineral information. And I came across a website called Mendat and Jimdat, you know, and you were telling me before um, how Mendat came about. I think that's a fascinating story. Yeah, well, at the time, remember, this is early days. This was before there was Google and before there were searches. We had to take out print ads to direct people to the website to find us. And, um you know, Mindat was one of several. There were three of them at the time. Uh, these sites that wanted to aggregate mineral data, were, what things were, where they were from, and just start building a database. And I supported two different uh, competitors at the time because I think they all had a noble goal, right, to build information. Um, Mindat ended up being the world's number one reference for minerals and crystals. It still is. And I'm I'm proud of my early support for them. We gave them money. But more than that, I gave them my initial database. So I think around 2000 or 2001, we scanned in uh, some of the first 14,000 items on Demindat. And that helped build this database. Um, we should probably come back and talk a little more about some of the other things you said. But I really want to talk about something cool about Mendat. So, you know, here's this database that I and others contribute photos to. Mostly it's from collectors. And so so you're going to it to learn more, right? That's a crowdsourced mm-hmm. data. Mindat is grown from crowdsourcing. Uh, I'm unusual. I think we've submitted a million two, 1.2 million photos or something. That is but, a lot. Yeah, ridiculous. But mostly it comes from a lot of smaller people acting together. And so here's the thing. You have this growth. Why? because we feel we should contribute and it's useful and we're all using it ourselves to learn. So you find a mineral, you say, you know, I think I know what this is. You go in and you look for pictures, you try and figure out where it's from. And that's all great from our point of view. But what's happened recently is they've been applying artificial intelligence and big data. So there's this whole new um, crazy sci-fi looking uh, science that takes these big data sets and uses them with artificial intelligence to pull out 
idea. And so, so there's laboratories of people sitting at computers actually using MINDAT to do mineralogy research without actually going into the field or picking up a rock or looking at a rock. And it, it's produced some amazing results. So Bob Hazen, the Carnegie, he's one of the top geoscientists in the world, just had a few papers come out about this. And they're using artificial intelligence to look at the data that we all have contributed and it's leading predictions about what other minerals might exist on Earth, or Mars, or Venus, or in other solar systems, right? Mm. And so here, our, our humble little data set from our website inventory is now part of that. Um, just super cool to see what MINDAT has evolved to. And even NASA is using a lot of the data that was generated from MINDAT and the associated projects, which is how there came to be a mineral called Levinskyite. Uh, because of my ridiculous contributions of photos and data there. So it's been, again, you know, you don't know where you end up. You start by just collecting rocks, right? Yeah. And I put up a website. I, I mean, I never saw any of this. It's, it was just collecting rocks as a kid. And then you put up a website. And, you, you know, you just want to put up better and better things because you love it too. But we all grew together. So it's the collectors, the dealers, Mindat. Um, and now the science tying into it, it's been really this cool synergy of learning about minerals as a community. And more and more people now tumble into that because of the Internet. Um, like you, I think a lot of them come in through the metaphysical end, asking questions about why people believe this stuff about the minerals. Well, what's the science? And more importantly, what do these things look like? So if metaphysical or healing things are the gateway drug to get people looking at Mindat and find minerals. Um, that's wonderful. I, I think people look at these things like the real crystals, right, that aren't broken and tumbled and polished. Mm. And they either have full immediate love of them or they don't get it. One or the other. I don't think there's an in-between. I see it as a medium. Um, so when I see a raw crystal and then a polished one, I see the raw uh -huh. crystal itself as a medium, um, you know, a blank canvas. The blank canvas itself is beautiful as it is, you know, but it can be turned into something else. It can be carved. It can be turned into jewelry. It can be polished or it can be as it is, you know, that's how sure. I see it. But you see both sides of it, and and mm -hmm. I guess I I feel like a lot of people only see the 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 cut and polished side, without seeing the beauty of when it occurs, the original raw material. Right? We destroy things. That's what our civilization does, right? We destroy rocks or things from nature. We we have to take them apart to build the materials of civilization, and that's also where art comes from, from crystals and stones and diamond and gold and platinum. But right, like lapis those... was used um, from everything as paint colors to eyeshadow, even yep. malachite, which is toxic. I wouldn't use it as eyeshadow today. But <laughs> the ancient no. Egyptians, you know, um, stibnite. Stibnite was, I think, yep. used as yep. coal, and uh, that stuff will kill you. <laughs> yep. Actually, we trucked it. What's crazy is they brought it over way up from far away. It was the most expensive eyeliner in history. I'm sorry. I, you see it on, uh, for those who are tuning into this, we all know that famous picture of um, Queen uh, Nefertiti, I think mm -hmm. it is, 
with the Egyptian queen is with the big, huge black eyeliner. You're right. That's Stiff Knight. How did, how did no, they I'm, not die? <laughs> like, how did they, oh, how did they survive? <laughs> I think a lot of the miners and the people refining it lived very short lives. You know, yeah. you read the stories about people mining for mercury. They thought mercury was was a healing item too. Um, a lot of them did die. But, It'll heal you, you right know, out of this world. It will. But this is the thing. I mean, like you said in the beginning, with metaphysical, with culture, with uh, minerals have stories that are rooted thousands of years deep in our culture. All I'm trying to do is connect. I think I look at it this way. What I'm doing now in terms of education and teaching people, I'm trying to connect those stories regardless of where they come from cultural, metaphysical, medical, uh, legend, and more, back with the raw materials, right? And try and show people the beauty of these things from the beginning because most people never got to see the original materials that art was made from or that inspired these cultural legends. And so I think that's what minerals do. You know, natural crystals do. They have this power to re-inspire people about the beauty of nature and a lot of our culture comes from those deep stories. We just don't realize it. Yeah, and the stories are what really fascinate me. Um, yeah. Yeah, like the story behind Moldavite. Um, Moldavite came from the sky. There's so many legends and associations with it. Some say, yeah. oh, it's the Holy Grail. Some say, oh, it was the star that fell out of Lucifer's crown when God kicked him out of heaven. You know, it's the only green stone that's ever fallen to earth um, from the sky. So it's really cool, like, just the legends and stories. They fascinate me, and I love sharing about those. Yeah, so the legends inform the value of Moldavite, right, and create all this speculation. But at the end of the day, it's still beautiful on its own merit. So I, I collect it and would sell simply based on the beauty of the natural product regardless of what people do for it afterwards. And it ties us, it ties the metaphysical world, right, to science um, when they try to understand where this comes from. But again, I'm just looking at the beauty. I, I can step back from all of the cultural stories and all of the legends, and I just want to look at, for example, Moldavite. There are natural pieces, you know, that are perfect and undamaged. But that's how they formed whenever it was. I don't remember how long ago they formed. And those are just simply beautiful. That's I have a I piece of Moldavite um, that has some, what well, looks like rust inclusions in it. And I've seen other pieces of Moldavite that had similar inclusions. So it just makes me wonder, like, what that stone went through 16 million years ago, what those inclusions are. And, you know, I'm always just, if stones could talk, what would they say? <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, the oldest stones, I think, are zircons. I mean, some mm -hmm. of these things are a billion years old. <laughs> you know, eyewitness to history kind of stuff. There are, there are scientists who spend their lives cutting them into little pieces, looking at these the stories, as you call them, right, from the inside. Mm -hmm. But the way, I, the way I teach people when I'm talking about gems and minerals, is sort of using the pitch of where do your gems come from and and say, look, everybody in the room, you're wearing jewelry or you have jewelry at home, probably look at what you have. Look at the emerald. 
look at the aquamarine. These things are hundreds of millions of years old. Look at your diamond. It might be a billion years old. And just, you know, take a minute and look at this ring on your finger and realize that stone was formed before the dinosaurs walked the earth. And you, you try and get people to feel this deep sense of time, right? Because they are ancient things. I mean, we're lucky to see these at all. Yeah. I mean, the, the depth of time that they survived is, it's ridiculous. It's just absurd that we have these beautiful treasures and they're not already destroyed by the earth. Yeah, I gave, um, when I interviewed Elon in um, July, I gave him a piece of shungite. Um, it was a coaster carved of shungite. And mm-hmm. shungite is like 2 billion years old. It's crazy just to think of how old shungite itself is. And it's, it's carbon. It's like 99.999% carbon. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, you know, nature is crazy. It's, people just have to step and look at it a little differently to appreciate, again, the, from my perspective, the beauty and the age. That's just, it's just something people don't think about a lot. What do you um, think of Shungite water? Of, of what? Um, how the Shungite is used to purify water. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, not, so to be honest, not my field. So I'm not going to speculate. I I am a biologist. Mm-hmm. So is there a role for minerals in purifying water? Yes. Do certain minerals, certain rocks have combinations of elements in them and molecules that, that might interact with water or with biology to to change something? Yes, but it's not my field. I don't know enough to comment. I step back, and instead of looking at properties or legends of the minerals, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just looking at beautiful pieces of art. Um, you know, what's interesting is when I'm talking with someone who's into the metaphysics and the healing, they're, they're, they tell me about all these things they feel when they hold minerals or, or see a new mineral for the new time and put it in their hand. And, and you know, I say, I've held hundreds of thousands of minerals in my life. I should be the healthiest person on earth. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know in detail to describe it the way they do. All I can say is, I get this thrill, right, like electricity running through me. When I hold a great mineral, I get goosebumps and the hair goes up on my arms, too. I just don't stop and break it down and try and classify it. I I look at it that way, right? It's it's my mm. version of metaphor. I feel something. I feel this thrill. I don't get from holding a baseball card. I know I don't get it from driving in a an expensive vehicle or wearing an expensive watch or you know, collecting a coin. But when you put a great mineral in my hand, I feel this energy and I get goosebumps and the hair goes up on my arms. Is that the same thing people describe wearing pendants of quartz or shungite? I, I don't know. I don't think of it that way. But, you know, it's like visceral and it's, it's an all at once, um, wow, this is nature feeling. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it too. Whenever I hold something, I... It's just something about them that makes me feel alive. Sure. So so here's my pitch on it. If you already feel a thrill for holding and having rocks and minerals and you feel you're responsive to properties, that's great. I think there's probably some basis for it, which is not in my understanding. I probably feel that to some degree. But I want people to say there's even more to it. 
you know, a lot of times people are getting these feelings or in buying in the metaphysical world, polished and tumbled and processed products. I would only urge people to look back at the natural beauty, right? The natural, mm. crystal, the, the really rare stuff that comes out of the ground that survives earth and nature and time and the humans mining it. And that's what I sell. That's what I put in museum exhibits like we're doing now to try to inspire people. And it's a natural material I then use to tie back to the cultural stories you were talking about. So we might have a natural stibnite in the exhibits I do. And we tell the same story you just mentioned about how stibnite, um, you know, was eyeliner at one time. And, and then it was the process of distilling stibnite led to the word alcohol. And later it was just a metal they threw into the mix to make steel. Um, what's interesting, I think you need, if you look at your multivitamin, uh, have you seen in the little details at the end, there's a little bit of antimony and selenium and chromium and just I've tiny, seen, tiny I've never seen antimony in my, well, I rarely take multivitamins. I only take like, um, I'll take iron um, because I do have anemia, but I don't really do it because I've always had stomach problems no matter what the brand was, whether it's the healthy brands or the cheap brands. I've always just had really bad stomach cramps when I would take a multivitamin. Or I get really sick. So I don't really take like a full multivitamin, but I will take like vitamin C when I'm sick or zinc or, you know, um, or iron when I realize, you know, I'm having anemia problems. But I don't take the full, but I have, I have taken them before and I've seen the ingredients, but I've never paid attention to the, I've seen chromium, but I've never saw antimony. So that's interesting to think about. I might be thinking of selenium, might be SC. But look, look at the list. Here's the point. So, you look at the list, and there's metals that we need in the human body to survive. Um, and if you want to talk on that, I know a mineral collector who is a world expert on all these minerals and metals in the human body. Uh, you can talk to next time. But it's, I mean, it's not just appreciating these things. My, you know, visually, my point is somehow we need them to survive. We do. In fact, our bodies are made somewhat of, well, we're biological, but... Uh, we do need minerals, but we have copper. I do know we have copper in our body. Um, we have there, gold. Well, the reason why is, so so those little metals, they become part of uh, proteins. Think of them like little biological machines, and they get their form and their structure from being formed around a metallic element. And, and that dates back to hundreds of millions of years or more in evolution when uh, those reactions were necessary in the very primitive single-celled ancestors we evolved from. I mean, it's deep time. The age of minerals, the availability of minerals on Earth uh, to do this stuff, it's, it's shocking depths of time involved. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was a little wide-ranging. <laughs> My only point is it's not just culture. You know, it's not just beauty. It's not just metaphysical uses. It's minerals are literally a part of us and and our civilization. And my whole future now of educating about them is based on trying to do exhibits that make these connections. And we use beautiful minerals to show those connections. Something gorgeous, you know, where anyone can just walk up to it. You don't have to be a scientist. And you just, you just want to say, wow, holy shit, that's natural. That's amazing. You know, I never knew... My polished tourmaline came from something like that. Or, or, you know, I never knew copper 
Wait a minute, that that thing is in me? Yeah. Yeah. Copper, wow. Like, you know, you can look at it. Like, I've seen um, some beautiful copper um, carbonates and copper splashes. And it's so cool to think that something that's in this art is also in my body. Yeah. Yeah, some small part of it. And again, what we need to do, so now now here's the thing, right? I spend half my time selling minerals and half my time educating. And you can't just you can't just take a, you know, a 9 caliber small bullet, right, and point out like bullets of education. You have to have a shotgun approach to education. You have to just connect everything to everything and tell as many stories as you can and teach as much about for lack of a better word, the beauty of nature, right, that we can and how it connects back to these minerals and crystals. Um, so so for me, the only way to reach a lot of people is twofold. There's the Internet, and then there's putting it in front of their faces in museum exhibits. And so ironically, my business is shifting from uh, being Internet-based with a few conventions to trying to do these crazy museum exhibitions in the future and uh, trying to put them right in front of people physically instead of just online, you know, tell the stories. That's amazing. Um, So you mentioned AI earlier. Um, How do you think AI will play a role in the future of, you know, educating people about minerals, um, putting it in front of their faces, whether through art or just general education? Like, what do you think will be a significant role for that? I saw the I saw the recent article about all the art critics and artists who are horrified that the AI art. And I, you know, I looked at the picture and I'm thinking, damn, that's a pretty cool picture. I mean, I thought it was original, but what do I know? So I'm I'm not going to talk about art, but in terms of um, science and mineralogy, yeah, that's, I have a few comments. So the first off, I'm I'm going to vent a little as a seller. So. I worked my ass off to build my website Mm -hmm. and build this company selling minerals over time from before Google existed through Google. You know, you you build your website. You you have to learn about SEO. You have to learn about programming. There's all kinds of pitfalls you survive and grow. And I did. And I invested a lot of money and time. And I have people who helped me, obviously. And I have this great website. And then along comes social media. And, you know, maybe blogs are more innocent than other things like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, but it lowers the barrier for people to get online and sell stuff, right? So it used to be a world where not a lot of competitors could come into the field. And now because of social media and the platforms of social media where people can sell, using AI help, um, it really helps a lot of people come in. It's democratized the mineral selling, and I'm sure in lots of other hobbies and fields, I'm sure with your your metaphysical and jewelry too, it it had a big, for a lot of smaller dealers and sellers to come in because they used AI, right, to help push your products, send notices, and target them to people who are interested in similar things. So I grew up in a world that didn't, you know, where that wasn't competition. So my first comment about AI is thinking about it as, it has enabled a lot of competition to my business and to the traditional business of websites. You know, by by making these associations and pushing things in front of people's eyeballs, 
And so I had to adapt. You know, now we sell at IROX and Arc and Stone on Instagram. Um, and I see you on TikTok. I actually see the videos of TikTok. You guys have perfected literally, like, you'll swipe it, and then it'll fall into your hand. I love that. I see those on my For You page. Okay. So, so here I'm saying, I'm both, I'm both venting frustration and admiration at the same time, right? <laughs> this is AI-driven changes in my business. I mean, it's forced to respond. Um, that I wish I could claim credit for that. That's Monica Kitt. Um, she has mastered all of that, and I have no idea how she does it either. And, you know, one year out here, oh, we need to be on Instagram. Two years later, oh, we need to be on TikTok. You know, the websites alone aren't enough anymore. So even in my field where I was really dominant on the web, if I didn't go into social media, um, you know, it would be a huge hurt in the future. So, so AI has forced me to do that. And now that we're on it, I see its power. So AI is able to take things and put them in front of your eyeballs. You might not have seen me or met me otherwise. Um, you know, so as a seller, it's both good and bad. And it's really democratized selling, I'm sure, across fields for a lot of people in these hobbies. Um, but as far as AI and science, I mentioned earlier the work of a guy named Bob Hazen and Shauna Morrison. They're affiliated with Carnegie. And so they're using AI to look at all of the data sets that are in MINDAT billions of data points and they're using it to predict what minerals we've missed what might exist on earth that could be useful to science just to know about um that we haven't found and they've done that uh they can use it to predict how when you look at another solar system in outer space uh if you look at the 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 worlds that might be orbiting other suns there they can make predictions about the mineral composition now of those worlds based on the data that AI has pulled out of our data sets. Um, so I think there's crazy stuff coming we can't even imagine. As AI is applied more and more to mineralogy, the way it's been applied to other kinds of technology, I think a lot of people think minerals and geology was kind of a, a dead science or maybe most of it had been discovered. And AI is telling us that actually we missed a lot and there's still a lot to do. And I think his work uh, and her work, uh, Bob and Shauna in particular, are re-energizing mineralogy and the discovery of minerals. So that's AI from two different perspectives, right? Mine as a seller and uh, what I see as a scientist. I like that. Uh, you know, I didn't really know much about AI until um, I was invited to uh, – like, I knew, you know, just, like, here and there, but I was invited to Tesla's AI Day last year, um, wow. and I was like, okay, what am I into, you know? It was, it was so overwhelming, just, like, all the technology, and, you know, so I just started, like, learning, you know, just the terminology here and there, and I still feel kind of like a fish out of water, but it's so interesting to see the results of this technology and the various ways it can be applied, whether, like you said, mineralogy, you know, we're seeing it, too, on social media. I'm seeing ads for copyright, yeah. using AI to copyright. And, yeah. you know, I'm like, well, I'm a writer. Like, you know, that's going to put me out of business at the same time. It's pretty cool. And then we use AI on our phones. Like, I talked to Siri. That's AI, you know. So it's yeah, so you have cool to, to see the variety, the variety of ways it is enhancing our lives. 
for, for me, though, I'm a little scared. I mean, I have to admit, as a sci-fi buff, I read horror stories about computers taking over the world. I grew up with war games and, new, you know, the nuclear war movie with the AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are bad. But, you know, just looking at my business, you look at the, the changes I've seen since I went online in 95, the changes I've seen with websites. I mean, you know, sometimes I think I'm a pioneer and sometimes I think I'm the oldest ignorant person in the room, you know, not knowing what to do for the next iteration when things change. And 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 I, I feel a little off sometimes. All I can do is reach out for help to specialists in each field, which changes every few years, and uh, hire millennials who know way more than I do. I mean, without my, my younger team, I've got Monica Kitt, uh, Matt McGill, and Alex Vensky in my office in particular. You know, they, they run all this stuff. I don't really understand it. I have to admit, it's a mystery, and it's a little scary. Um, but, and, you know, behind the scenes of all of these social media selling platforms, it is AI, and I have to accept I'll never understand it. Um, all I can do, like you, right, is adapt, uh, master our craft, and just put out a better product. And connect with people who do understand it, like you have. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Always hire people younger than you, is what I've learned <laughs> for the time. Um, you know, and, and in some ways, collecting minerals is is uh, a little bit of a retreat from the world of technology. I think not just for me, but for some of my customers who live busy lives or who are immersed in the stuff we don't understand. Minerals, crystals, you know, you don't need technology to appreciate them. They're physical. You you hold it, you put it on your shelf, you look at it. it it's to me, it's an escape from the crazy world we live in. I just it that's how it is for me too. And the guy who taught me how to wire up, he um, uh-huh. so he was in the music business, so he would always go on tour. And he told me like he didn't wrap jewelry to sell it as a business. He did it as an escape, you know, when he it breaks because he said the music industry is really tough. So crystals and minerals and making jewelry that was his escape, and you know, and he taught it to me. That's how I learned. That's how I came into this was through meeting him in Atlanta when I used to live in Atlanta. Yeah, and, it's so, um, it's real. Yeah, so it's, it is definitely, it's kind of grounding, you know, escape, grounding, <laughs> centering yourself, reconnecting okay. with the earth. Yeah, well, so so now here, come back again to what you started the conversation with. What does it mean when we, we, we're agreeing with each other that collecting minerals, whether it's crystals or wire wrap or pendants or whatever is therapeutic, what does that mean? It means different things to different people. I, you know, but I feel the same, even though I'm not a great believer in metaphysical properties. I'm getting the same result for myself personally as someone who is a believer would get. I, I put them in a room, I walk in the room, and I feel a sense of tranquility and calm, right? Um, so we're probably talking about the same things in different ways. And that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been now collecting? I have questions for you. How okay. do I convert more people like you from the metaphysical side and appreciating these things of objects and jewelry and, and in life to appreciating the beautiful natural crystals? How long have you collected natural crystals and what was your gateway to get into collecting okay. natural crystals? So I, um, I'm from Shreveport and I had moved to Atlanta in 2004 from Shreveport right after the whole 
we had Rita up there. My landlord was like, oh, Kevin Costner is uh, filming in Shreveport because the Katrina in New Orleans shut it down. And I need everybody to move out the building because he rented the building to Kevin Costner. So I was like, well, I was born in Atlanta. My mom had moved to Atlanta to take a job, moved back to her home state. And I was like, I would just go see the city I never lived in, I didn't grow up in, you know, and just check it out. And so I was just, like, kind of on hard times. She actually wound up going missing and was homeless. So I was trying to find her, trying to survive. And I was selling art at the time. I was a painter. And I was in, a, in the square in Little Five Points. Um, it was a beautiful day in September. I want to say 2007, maybe 2000. It was 2006 or 2007. And it was just so gorgeous. I was trying to sell my art, hanging out with a couple of other artists back then. You know, the city would let us sell art and stuff without a permit. Now you have to have a permit. And this mm-hmm. lady walks up to me, and she's like, I need to talk to you. And I was like, okay. Like, you know, because she's a customer. And she's like, come to my store, Elegance Boutique. And okay. um, so I did. And I met her and her husband, and we just vibed like like we've known each other forever. And um, her her name was Denise. His name his, was she still alive? But Daryl isn't. That was her husband. And he was mm-hmm. sitting there making jewelry, and we were just talking about crystals and stuff. And I had no idea. And when I walked into the store, they had he had just stones and crystals and jewelry. It was just so beautiful. It was like literally, I walked into another world. And uh, I just you know yep. we just started talking. Yeah. And vibing, and he was just like, you know, um, I need a website. And I'm like, I don't know how to build them, but I can learn and help you, you know. And because in my mind, I'm like, you know, whatever, you know, if they want to pay me five bucks or ten bucks, hey, that's a Marta card, or, you know, or that's a day pass, you know. And he's like, well, I'll pay you in jewelry. And back then, jewelry to me was seen as something luxurious, you know. Poor, you know, my mom was like, we're poor, we don't do jewelry. You know, um, so I was like, wow, I'm going to have jewelry. And, yeah, so we wound up bartering. Um, I helped them build up a Facebook page. I built this really crappy website because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, I helped them launch an Etsy, but um, the Etsy kind of, like, you know, fizzled away. It was, I, But his Facebook started doing really well, and I helped them set up a Facebook page for their store, and he paid me in jewelry. And I became close with him and her, and, you know, and that's when I started looking, like, when I was building his Facebook page, and I was, like, typing in his music resume, and I typed in, I wound up typing won a Grammy in 1984, and I did a double, he won a Grammy? You know, like, and he was so humble, like, he didn't even mention it, you know, he just showed me the resume. So, and we, like, scanned in the photos and uploaded some of the photos, um, and he had a MacBook, and at the time, I didn't know how to use a Mac. So <laughs> it was like a learning uh-huh. experience. And he taught me everything he knew about crystals. He had this book called The Crystal Bible, and it was metaphysical. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if this stuff is real. Do these stones really do this? You know. And then he told me the story about Moldavite. And um, yeah, he Moldavite was like, cool well, he it. told me his story. His story was really wild. So um, he was wire wrapping. He had a Moldavite pendant on. He was wire wrapping a pendant when he actually cut his hand. And so Denise took him to close the store. They went to, like, Walgreens, and he was just sitting there holding his hand. It was bleeding and stuff. 
And so while she went in the store to get like gauze and medical stuff, he did, he said, Donna, I went into a trance. I was sitting here. The sun was shining on me and I just went into this trance and I heard this crying sound. And when he came out of the trance and his hand was his motorbike and the wound was gone. Like his hand was completely healed. There, even the blood was gone. And I was what? like, no way. It was probably a thin, a razor thin glass cut. Moldavite is basically glass. That would, that might explain that. But still, it's, anyway, still the story's inspiring. So, so bottom line, you, you had a mentor who pushed you to see things in a different way. Yeah. You were That's what happened. And then I had my own experience with Moldavite. Um, so I went, um, to the store down the street. It, it was called Crystal Blue. And I told the guy, I was like, hey, um, Daryl told me his Moldavite story. And they're like, oh, you want to experience it? I'm like, yeah. So he handed me a piece of Moldavite out the case. Um, and I felt absolutely nothing. I walked around the store just holding it. Nothing. Like, nothing. And he looked at me and he's like, you must be really closed up. So he gives me every single piece out the case. And then he directed me. He had, like, this huge quartz power and this huge quartz spear. And he's like, go stand in between those two. So I stood for about another 10 minutes. And then Rob, it, um, when I was like a kid, I had lightning strike within like three or four feet of me. It was wow. really intense. The Moldavite experience was more intense. Like I literally felt this rush of energy come through me. And I was just like, whoa, really loud. Like everybody turned to stare at me. And he's like, oh, yep, you're feeling it. And I did. I was vibe. I, like, I felt it for like two weeks. And then I went and saved that money and got my own Moldavite. I spent $100 on it. Daryl wrapped it in uh, sterling silver. And something sad happened. Like, I literally just lost it, like, two weeks ago. Like, I had this pendant with me for over a decade, and I no longer have it now. Um, it fell off. And it's go And Daryl always told me when a stone leaves yeah. you, it's going to its next person. So, you know, so I'm at peace with that. But um, it was just, you know... It was my first Moldavite, and it's so, just so like, oh, God. yeah, Moldavite is kind of what um, was my gateway drug. <laughs> okay, and then, and then when did you see, so was this natural, I'm, I'm just asking, was it a natural, unpolished thing? Mm -hmm. When did you see that, or was this raw? They were all rough and uncut, and they were just, just sent straight, they were, from straight from Czech, uh, Czech, I can't even say the country's name, Czechoslovakia. Um, they just yep. came straight from there, as is, you know, uncut, unpolished, just crystals. Okay. You know, they weren't awesome. even independent. Yeah. Awesome. See, I like I like hearing that. So when people see natural crystals and realize how amazing they are for the first time, the depth of age and beauty and rarity, that's to me that's the conversion experience I'm looking for to create, you know, awareness. And some of those people then will become my customers as collectors. That's, that's awesome. The, the thing to do is get people to step back and look at something like that. And, you know, when it comes to the metaphysical side, I realize um, it's not – a lot of people fall for it because they think it's magic, but it's it's not magic. It's you know, everything has a vibration to it, whether it's a piece of wood or a table. Like, we all, you know, vibrate at certain speeds. You know, that's basic science. Um, but 
and people don't understand that. They think, oh, this stone is going to do this because it's a magic stone and it does that. No, there's a reason for it, and it's not going to, like, they say citrine or topaz, golden topaz or even jade are stones of wealth and abundance. And, no, they, to me, they vibrate at a certain frequency that's on that level, and it kind of opens you up to those lessons, you know. it, You know, you, and also, too, you can look at it as a visual representation. Um, that's just kind of how I look at it. Now, I don't think it's magic, but I do think there is some nugget of truth to that, but it's based in science. It's not based in, like, you know, magic or spirit. Yeah. yeah, I think the thing, I just don't claim to know what that basis would be. And like I said, I mean, as a collector of beautiful natural minerals, I get feelings that I would roughly describe as analogous to what I hear metaphysical people tell me they feel. It's just to me, I, I get it from this just all, like all at once holding a beautiful um, and don't dissect it or ask why or how. But uh, I'm sure. And that's something. the beauty of it. That's what I think is the most beautiful part. I, they have their own ways of speaking to us and we don't have to label them. We can, uh-huh. but we don't have to. A lot of people do it because they're trying to understand it. But sometimes it's just not, I don't know, you don't have to understand it, just appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so here's the thing. What can we do that combines our platforms to get more people crossing over and educated about both fields? Um, I think just show them beautiful things. That's what we can do. That's what I try to do. And, you know, a lot of things um, in the metaphysical side of it, a lot of people uh, who believe in it are often mocked or ridiculed, especially by skeptics and scientists. So I think instead of mocking and ridiculing, we should listen to why and understand that, hey, you know, like you said, we're looking at it from two different perspectives. You know, we're talking about the same thing from two different perspectives. And you are great at that. You are great at, you know, just understanding and listening without criticizing. Um, I think others should probably do that as well, you know. But you don't have to believe it just to listen to them, to accept yeah. it, you know. and I think that's what we need a lot more listening, you know, and and a less t- listening and showing instead of just talking down to you. And that, I mean, that goes for anything, not just minerals. That goes for any topic. For sure. For sure. But, again, when it comes to the minerals, I mean, I think if we just look at them together and we're in the same room, mm-hmm. I think everyone agree. These are just – they're really freaking amazing things that come from nature that make us feel awesome you just don't – I just feel we don't have to dissect how exactly, you know, without denying that it affects different people different ways. And I, I think, you know, I think there's probably people who respond better to polished, tumbled things or things set in jewelry against their skin, but that's not me. I just want the natural thing, and it gives me that electric thrill all on its own. Um, probably people are wired differently. I love all of them. I love the polished, I love the tumbled, I love the natural. Um, if I'm going to wear jewelry, it depends um, on the stone, whether can it survive, is it okay, is it like, will, we're, will wearing it or making it into jewelry be too rough on it? Would it be better to wrap something polished versus the rough? Because yeah. it might be more fragile in its rougher state, you know, that kind of thing. Like, for example, kyanite. Sometimes some kyanites are fragile and others polished kyanites are not as, you know, not as fragile. Um, Hyalite. 
highlight. Um, I've seen faceted highlight. I've wrapped, I actually have a very fragile piece of highlight that I delicately wrapped in silver, and it's a miracle that I was able to wrap it without it crumbling. And it's my personal piece. But I also have some highlights that are not as fragile as this other piece of highlight. So it just depends on that specific stone, you know, that, like, I wouldn't sell a fragile piece. I would keep it for myself because I know yeah. if it falls apart, I don't have to worry about a customer being mad at me over that, you know, because it's my piece. <laughs> but that's, you know, I, but that's just the uh, artist in me kind of, you know, determining, you know, whether or not what's better. I'll tell you a funny story. So, you know, of course, I'm a high-end mineral dealer. I sell mm-hmm. these crystals. I don't do jewelry. But uh, there was a time, um, you know, it, it used to be in the 90s, there wasn't such a big market for fine minerals and natural crystals. And I was trying to pay my way through college and build the business and pay for my hobby of buying these things for myself, like you do. You know, I mm-hmm. respect that you buy and keep things for yourself because it shows you have a soul. You know, it's, I don't want to be just a merchant, right, who buys stuff and sells stuff. I, I want to be someone who passionately loves this myself and puts my money where my mouth is. And when when I met you and you said that's what you do, I feel, okay, I get it. That's, that's sort of how I feel about what I do. You got to, you know, you got to believe in this yourself. But anyway, minerals didn't pay the bills. So you look at prices today and you think, how is that possible? You know, if I had a good mineral business and I had sources, I had customers, they just weren't valued enough and the market wasn't big enough. And so to get through college in the early 90s, I actually was doing wire wrapping. I was using my sources for minerals and finding interesting things, um, in particular stuff coming out of Russia in the early 90s. I was wire wrapping them and I was selling them at the street markets and the Renaissance fairs uh, down in Houston. And I would drive up through the Midwest and sell wire-wrapped quartz crystals from Arkansas to the rock shops. You know, I'd sit there watching Star Trek or something on TV while my hands were wrapping quartz points. And, um, you know, I went through all of that. And just like you said, you know, trying to understand what things are brittle. You don't want things that would break on people. And I I was one of the early people doing the Russian green uvarovites. We used to buy it for $10. Oh, cool. $10 a kilo from Russia. I mean, for, for like 200 pieces of druzy green garnet. And, um, yeah, so I, I did more than my share of wire wrapping in the early 90s. And I know a little bit about what you're talking about. It was, um. You know, Daryl told me when he first taught me, he said, Donna, this is going to be a business. You're going to make money from this. And I didn't believe him at the time. I was just trying to make my own jewelry with my own stones. Um, and, when it didn't click until my mother was in hospice and I have wrapped my first ruby with 14 karat gold fill wire. Um, Daryl would always say, I don't really do gold that much because it's expensive, so I only save it for custom. So I said, I'm going to buy this. I bought, it was around Father's Day because I wanted, he, he was like a second father, so I bought, I wanted to make him something for Father's Day and mm-hmm. I had some gold left over, so I said, okay, I'm going to wrap this ruby. And it was a faceted ruby, and I picked. It, I did a ruby and an onyx. The ruby was going to be for me, and the onyx was for Daryl. I took a picture of that ruby, and I posted it on Facebook um, after I wrapped it. And um, somebody, she was she was willing to pay money. She paid, like, I think 125 for it. And it paid for the gold. It paid for both stones. And I had a little pocket money. And I was so shocked. It was my first, like, big sale of creating something. 
you know, and my mom was in hospice, so I wound up actually using that money for, like, I think buying Marta passes or something. And it mm-hmm. hit me. It, I was like, oh, my God, this is, Daryl was right. And, you know, jewelry selling has gotten me through homelessness. It got me, it, I was doing it while I was married to my ex. And while he was conning people going job to job, I was actually pulling in two or $3,000 a week off of jewelry. Yeah, you you know, I was dumb. I gave the money to him to pay the bills, and he spent it all on strip clubs and stuff. So, you know, I, I I don't do that no more. But I was just like, man, if I if I was, you know, I'm getting back to that level, and I'm investing, you know, now, and I'm like reinvesting back into the business, buying stocks here and there, and just rebuilding and everything now. But um, jewelry has gotten me through. So. All my hardships. I mean, it's how I connected with Tesla, Elon Musk, and the Tesla community, oddly. Yeah, yeah, you told me. It's in your life? Yeah. Um, he, I wrote Elon Musk's open letter. At the time, my ex hosted the jewelry blog on his domain. And um, to get back at me, he took down the domain. So I had to re, I had to literally had to rebuild everything. And, um, you know, so, but I wrote Elon this open letter and he actually shared it. And I was like, hey, I'll give you a mobile bike as a thank you for sharing it. Because when he shared it, I had jewelry sales. And at the time, I was literally homeless. My ex had kicked me out absolutely nothing. So, um, it literally financially saved me. Um, and he was like, yeah, sure. So I sent Elon Musk a mobile bike. You know, I forgot to ask him when I met him if he still had it. So <laughs> when I go back for part two, I'll have to ask him. Um, yeah, yeah, and try and try and point out to him that these things come from natural crystals. Elon, if you're listening, minerals and crystals are beautiful. That's, you that's told me a story do. about him at a gym show, right? Oh yeah, well we had um, yeah, so we have a few shows a year. So uh, apparently he pulled up to one of the lesser venues, sort of um you know, a hodgepodge of dealers in a in a hotel, a really old hotel in the Denver area uh, some years ago. And, you know, there's a mix of things in there. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um wasn't all the famous dealers. It's just a mix from around the world. And apparently went through the show like a tornado in an hour and a half. And <laughs> rumor, rumor is, you know, purchased some good minerals, including an Australian crocolite that was pretty, pretty good, actually. And, um... You know, people just wonder if it was true and where he went and if he'll become a mineral collector. And, you know, the potential is limitless. Someone like that, you could build a collection that would change, you know, change the country uh, mm-hmm. by, by building a collection to exhibit and teach people. And actually, there's a model for that. There's somebody doing that in, believe it or not, Beirut, Lebanon. A guy named Salim Eddy has the resources, sees how inspirational and beautiful these things are to culture and science and spent hundreds of millions of dollars to give Beirut, Lebanon, uh, probably the best natural crystal museum in the world. You know, I would like to so talk these, to him one day, on this, have him on the podcast. It yeah, would be an interesting story. Yeah. Right? Yeah, these people are out there. But no, the, the rumor is that Elon blew through the Denver Gem and Mineral Show and bought some nice things. Um, you know, in my world, when people tend to come in and get hooked, they tend to stay. Um, then again, some people are just awfully busy, and it's it's hard to get into collecting these things because there's so much 
conflicting information out there. What's quality? Mm. What are they worth, right? It's hard to grade natural mineral specimens. I don't like and it so, that you have people who will actually trademark a mineral and then they'll name a mineral, trademark it, and then sell it for like 10 times the price that that mineral is worth. I don't like that part. Yeah, trademarking nature, I have to say I agree. I agree with you. It's weird. I don't know how else to say it. I, I never would have thought of that. You see that in the gem and carving industry. Um, I can't do that with my stuff. I mean, natural crystals are simply what they are. I I cannot just make a name up for them. It just doesn't happen. My, our world is pure. I think pure compared to the stuff going on in some other collectibles. I would say yeah. that. Yeah, but you're right. That That is uh, something. It's, there's a lot of people who collect minerals, and they're in the closet. It's like it's almost like it's an old nerd's hobby, right? Mm. You know, I would just come out, be public, say you collect minerals. It's fine. Nobody will make fun of you anymore. So, <laughs> and if they do, you don't need them in your life anyway. Sure. And, and if it's somebody like Elon who's secretly collecting minerals, I'm sure he has thick skin by now to be a mineral collector and be proud oh, yeah. of it. Oh, yeah. I've seen all the with... hate he gets online, and it, it's just crazy. Um, yeah, so he's definitely got some thick skin. Yeah, I went through years being made fun of for collecting rocks as a kid instead of collecting baseball cards and football cards like normal kids. Uh, I went through years being made fun of for building the website in the 90s. Other dealers were telling me, you know, people who meant well. Why are you wasting your time on this internet thing? It's never going to go anywhere. Nobody's going to buy expensive or, or real physical goods on the internet. You know, right up into the early 2000s, I had good friends telling me, you know, stop wasting your time. And all I could do is, is tell them, but, but people love it. It's like you look at the internet, and there's people all over the world looking at this. I don't think it's a waste of time. I think people love it. You just have to show them. Um, but, you know, I think building a lot of businesses like that, you survive the period when people make fun mm-hmm. of you. You focus on what you love, no, despite yeah. what other people say. Just focus on what you love and your passions. And yeah. this is something I've learned. If you focus on what you love, and that's kind of like your purpose in life, and don't worry about what people say. Don't worry about, oh, you're going to fail. Okay, well, I'm having fun failing. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, your your wire wrapping and me building a crazy website in the 90s are are good examples of that. And that's that's probably a good note to end on. As we Mm -hmm. reflect on our, both of us had crazy adventures to get where we are. Yes. Well, I do appreciate you coming on and getting stoned with me. (laughs) It is an honor to get stoned. I should get stoned more. Um, I'm not sure, you know, when I can do that in Texas, but uh, we will see. So. In the meantime, this is the closest it gets to having fun, talking about minerals, and, you know, I have goosebumps. My hair's on edge from talking about minerals for so long. But right, thank you to, yeah. Yep. Thank you to your listeners, if any of them listen through this. Um, you know, it's a whole beautiful world out there, and, and I appreciate you giving me a platform to share it a little more. Well, I appreciate you coming on, because you are like a legend. I see you as a legend because when I first did the research, I came across your photos on Mendat and everywhere, like, you were all over Google. So it's pretty cool, like, meeting you and talking to you and just having you on, so. Uh, thank you. 
I have to say, I don't think I'm that old yet. <laughs> so we're so you're a legend. You, you don't have to be old to be a legend. Oh. You don't have to be old to be a legend. Well, I, I turned 50 this year, so. It's, oh, yeah, you're not old at all. I'm right behind you. I'm uh, 40. I'll be, four, yeah. I'll be 40 next month after next, so. Okay, but it, anyway, thank you, but it just feels weird it's, uh, to hear that, but thank you. It's an uh, honor. I I love what I do, and I love that I've gotten to share this with so many people. I really do. It's uh, changed my life, the way um, wrapping in stones have changed yours. Yeah. It's been amazing. 